Hey, it's Kyle. Before we get started with today's episode, a little bit of background. Back in 2018, Hallie and I were going to make a limited run podcast where we summarized Hallmark movies and did critical analysis of them. We only ended up getting two episodes in, and the feed was pretty quickly shut down. But the other day I was looking through our files and our transcripts, and I saw this episode pop up again. And I figured since there's nowhere else to find it, I might as well at least share the first episode of Hallmark, so that we have at least a little bit of a record of this fun experiment Hallie and I did. I really hope that you enjoy it. Season's greetings and welcome to Hallmarked, the seasonal literary analysis of Hallmark movies. I'm Hallie, your resident English major and Hallmark expert. I'm Kyle. I wanted to make another podcast because I hate myself so much. Kyle hates himself, so he was like, (laughs) what if we made this a podcast? And I was like, I'm here for it, because I've been doing this anyway. Each episode, we're going to recap a Hallmark movie for you. We'll decide the week before what we're going to watch. We'll walk you through what the movie is, and then, and then, we're going to analyze it. Because Hallmark movies do have messages. Some of them are very obvious, like Christmas is good. Some of them are not as obvious, and that's what we're here for, because like I said, I'm an English major and Hallmark expert, literally what my degree is in. Kyle just likes to do this for some yeah, reason. Yeah, like, okay, so the, the earlier part, all right, I mean, I was kind of joking the way I did it, but like, I this also is like a very, like, Hallie loves us. This does come up from a place of love for her. I don't. I don't like these movies. But I get, especially out of things that I just don't enjoy watching on their own, I just love being like, like digging into the themes and the deeper meaning and trying to understand it. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because like, I'm not good enough to analyze things that are done with significant craft or like things that are meant to be thought through. And I just need to like start with the really basic, simple stuff. But I enjoy it. It's like math. It from the point of view of that, I shouldn't enjoy it. But oh boy, you get me a good algebra problem. I'll be a happy camper. As Kyle said, this comes from a place of love. This isn't just about about shitting on Hallmark movies, just like a little bit. But <laughs> I just, I genuinely like them. Um, so it's kind of a family tradition of mine to just watch all of the Hallmark movies you can when Christmas rolls around. My mom loves them. My sisters love them. We like having them on in the background at family gatherings, commenting on the outfits and the dialogue and the decorations. And I like having them on in the background while I'm cooking or cleaning or doing whatever it is because they don't require your full attention, which is great. They're just great atmosphere and background noise for this time of year. And I just put on a, I just put on a CD. You could just put on a CD. Well, I do that other months of the year, January through like Christmas CDs or just CDs in general. Yes. What? Wait, do you listen to... No. All right. Do you listen to Christmas music all year round? Is this a revelation we're having? No. I li- sometimes... No, no, no. Don't back out. Do you listen to Christmas music other times of the year? The Phineas and Ferb Christmas special is really good, and I really like the songs from that. So, yes. So, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Okay. Continue. I just... 
I needed to know. Okay, so I really like doing this thing called a Hallmark coma, which is on a cold weeknight, you turn on any Hallmark movie that is on because it will be on in December. And you just, you're not really awake. You're not really asleep. Is this your third Hallmark movie? You have no idea because they all have the same actress, so you can't tell. And it's just, it's nice. You get some blankets, you get some cocoa, and you just nod on and off the whole night while still being awake enough to be like, no, I stayed up until 10 p.m. I like watching these and telling people about them because I know they don't care. So I really like spamming all of our chats with information about it. Oh, God. So we decided, what if we like just made this a thing? We're going to analyze Hallmark movies. And that's what this is. Yeah. So our our first half is going to be, as I said, we're going to get into the analysis later. But for the first half, Hallie, who uh, has a much better memory at these things than I do, Hallie's going to walk us point by point through our first movie, and I'm going to try my absolute darndest to derail her. Uh, Christmas at Pemberley Manor was the first one we chose because it was, in fact, the first of 22 new Hallmark movies to premiere this year on October 27th. So in Christmas Pemberley Manor, which is, yes, based off of Pride and Prejudice, Elizabeth Bennet works Wait, no, for... no, wait, let first derail... You you said it like we should know. You're like, Christmas at Pemberley Manor, which, yes, is based off of Pride and Prejudice. Pemberley, that's the name of the house. Okay. I was going to say, look, there's another movie called, like, Pride and Prejudice and Mistletoe. So why would I assume it when there's another one? Am I just going to assume that there are two Pride and Prejudice We've movies? just been talking about Pride and Prejudice for a long time, so I forgot that, like, a lot of people wouldn't immediately recognize Pemberley. Uh, Pemberley is the name of a house let me just make sure i have this right <laughs> pemberley pride because i haven't read it in a while it's the fictional country estate owned by fitzwilliam darcy i was correct so christmas at pemberley manor is based off of pride and prejudice it's an adaptation so elizabeth bennett works for an event company we're still not quite sure so already the first sentence of this summary we're like we think her boss owns it because her boss speaks like she owns it she speaks like her she owns it elizabeth bennett our hero has been hired by the small town of lambden which is also a pride and prejudice location to do their christmas festival and she needs to do this just right because her boss says you need to do this just right and is like vaguely threatening she's just she has high expectations and It's simultaneously a small event that her boss doesn't care about, but a way for Elizabeth to show what she's made of because Elizabeth has never fully been in charge of something before. She's basically like, hey, this thing doesn't matter, but if you mess it up, I will ruin you. Yeah, pretty much. So Elizabeth goes off with that move to Lambden, uh, where she meets up with George, who is the mayor of Lambden, who hired her. And they are old friends from college who went on a single date that comes up a lot. George clearly still loves Elizabeth. And this is a guy who's a mayor and was a lawyer. So despite his baby face, he's had to have been holding on to this for at least half a decade, probably longer. Something like Like that. Like this poor guy needs to let it go. Well, yeah, yeah. And they presumably haven't spoken in this time because they speak as if like, how have you been? We haven't seen each other in a while. Oh, that's even sadder. I know. I just made it really sad. This guy has nothing to do. And he's a mayor. Anyway, because he's a mayor and he has nothing to do, he's like, Elizabeth, help me plan this Christmas festival that for some reason we aren't getting work on until mid-December. That's fine. Uh, He's got this assistant named Jane. She's great. They're going to plan everything. But first, they need to get coffee. 
rewind a little bit because we're gonna go to what the love interest Fitzwilliam Darcy has been up to. I think his name is just William in this one. Is it? I swear they call him Fitzwilliam. Oh, Mr. Dar- Fitzwilliam is too uppity for our cool Hallmark protagonist. Does the movie ever try to pretend he's cool, though? It doesn't. It acts like he isn't, but he's also by far the most suave character. For for sure. Anyways, so we get to William Darcy, Travis. We'll just call him Darcy and Travis. Uh, Darcy is like, I have to go home to Lambden to sell Pemberley. The sale has to be over Christmas because the board wants it or something generic like that. Hallmark does that a lot. The board wants something or the company needs something. Yeah, Hallmark has a lot of nebulous villains. In this one, it is the board and it is condos. Just condos. So Darcy is apologizing to Travis for having to work over the holidays and Travis... Our beautiful, sweet, bouncy boy, Travis, is just like, oh, well, that's okay. I understand. I can Skype my family on Christmas. We can open presents that way. It'll be almost the same. And he's just genuinely happy to be there. He's really nervous, really fidgety. Darcy's trying his best to calm him down. Like, hey, calm down. You're new. It's okay. No one expects you to know everything and be perfect. Just like, you're doing great. And they're wonderful. So they pull up to the same outside coffee stand that Elizabeth and co are at. Yeah. And uh, one minor... Uh, correction that I had to, to, to your dialogue. I thought your replication was great. Your form was fantastic. However, it was a little inaccurate because where you said things like, we got to get going to Pemberley Manor so that the board can prove it, it would be something more like, Travis, we have to get to Pemberley Manor, Travis, so that the, bo- so the board will accept it, Travis. Because every sentence that Darcy says, this isn't actually true, like don't come and yell at me for it not being actually true, <laughs> but it feels like it. Every sentence begins ends or is cut in the middle by the name Travis. Travis was said so many times that that name will be burned into my skull until the day I die. The last word that I utter will be, I love all of you so much, Travis. Which is why I'm going to name one of my kids Travis, just as insurance. Actually, I'll probably name a couple of them Travis, just like in case I don't get along with one of them. Probably because I named all of them Travis. You'll have like three (laughs) Travises. The third one's name is Travis. 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 Yeah, it'll be close enough. I'll be dying. It'll be fine. So anyway, Travis (laughs) gets, gets out of the limo to get the coffee and he tries to cut everyone else because before he gets out of the limo Darcy is like your job's riding on this and Travis takes it seriously and we know that Darcy was joking because the camera lingers on Darcy for a second and Darcy goes Travis that was a joke after Travis leaves and it's too late to correct him Travis cuts in front of everyone else and is like my boss is very important I need to get this coffee for him my job depends on it and Elizabeth is like whoa 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 what do you mean your job depends on you getting coffee surely your boss can get more into the Christmas spirit. So Elizabeth, like the spitfire she is, goes up to the limo and is like, hey, buddy, why are you going to fire your employee over coffee? And I was like, it was a joke. I He he took it to, he, he misinterpreted it. And she's like, maybe it wasn't a very good joke. And Darcy's like, well... No, because he's just new and nervous and it didn't it didn't go over well. But Darcy is generally apologetic. He's like, nah, he admits it's his bad. And yeah, it, at first it looks like he's going to be a jerk, but he's like, yeah, no, you're you right. My bad. And then they just start flirting hardcore like like they are they are verbally making out. Yeah. In the middle of town square, which, by the way, is where this coffee place is. She ends with like, what does she end with, Kyle? Some sort of I don't statement know. that's like, like, here's the thing. Be nice to people. It's Christmas. Yeah, like Hallmark movies aren't scripts of dialogue. 
they're types of scenes arranged one after another in blocks. Essentially. They're bullet points. And this is the hate each other but flirt anyway scene. And once I figured out that was the scene, I just kind of... It doesn't matter how it ended because it served its purpose. It did. As soon as Travis gets back in the car, Darcy's like, you know who that was? And he's like, no. And Darcy goes, ah, that's a shame. Or something to that effect. He clearly wants to know who that was. Elizabeth also wants to know who Darcy... No, she actually doesn't want to know who Darcy is because uh, George and Jane are like, oh boy, that's big shot businessman Fitzwilliam Darcy. Can we just call him Billy? Since we can't agree, can we just give him a name that's not... Well, we can call him Darcy. I just... I like his full name. No, I like... I I like... All right, you call him that. I'm going to stick with Billy. Good boy, Billy. Fine. Billy D. Billy D. Let's add another name to the list of names you already can't remember. All right. So anyways, uh, yeah, Billy D. So, so, um, they're like, that was, and let's be like, no, no, I feel really good about what I did. I don't want to know. Cause she senses it's bad. And they're like, okay, whatever. Um, so then a water pipe breaks where the Christmas festival was going to be held. And they're like, where else can we host it? And basically the only option available to them is a lawn of Pemberley Manor, which as we know... Because I assumed everyone knew what Pemberley Manor was, like a hipster, that is where Darcy lives. So they don't tell Elizabeth on her way there. She finds out when she knocks on the door and Darcy answers and she's like, oh boy, have to do with you again. So Darcy and Elizabeth have like a talk in the parlor. Elizabeth just wants to use the land and he's like, I'm selling it. I don't want the liability of having a whole bunch of people on my lawn. Hope you understand. And he's saying no to Christmas thing, which makes him a Hallmark bado. But he's also, it's like a reasonable reason. He's not being overly mean about it. He's just like, I'm sorry. It'd be a lot to handle. I don't think it's a good idea. Elizabeth is very mad and implies that he will be on Santa's naughty list. Uh, so... Billy D and the rest of the Baddos. Billy D and the rest of the Baddos. Billy D and the Baddos. So Elizabeth leaves just, like, complaining to George about Darcy's lack of Christmas spirit. Uh, and she calls the condo company that, that the house land is being sold to because it's going to be replaced with condos. And complains that people are mad. And the condo company knows that the town already doesn't want them. So they want to foster some goodwill. So they send Darcy a letter. And they're like, hey fostered some goodwill. Uh, Darcy receives this letter in his study talking to Christopher, the housekeeper who showed up to replace the former housekeeper. All, all we need to know about this guy, because I, I I have a lot I could say about him, but he's ultimately meaningless to the interpretation. So all you need to know about Christopher is that he is mob boss Santa. Yep. Elizabeth's wish is to have, basically have a man, and this guy will sabotage whoever he has to to make that happen. He already has. He does several times throughout the movie. That hasn't happened yet, though, because right now he's just aggressively decorating the house for Christmas. And he's like, if only there was a way to foster goodwill with the community. And Darcy's like, throw the Christmas festival. Cue Elizabeth, who is ready to convince him to throw the festival. She's got all these points. That was a cute scene. Because he, he just says yes immediately. And she goes on with like, I don't understand why you won't help this town celebrate Christmas. Wait, did you say yes? And he's like, yeah, because Darcy's a pushover and we love he's him. such a pushover. Like he, he is, his, first off, his asshole dad gave Pemberley Manor to the company, not to him. Yeah, the company owns it for some reason. And then the company is, company is like, hey, you know this place where your childhood memories are? 
let's smash it down for condos. And Darcy's like, I... Travis even says, why are we selling this? And he's like, the board wants to... Like, spoiler to the end of the movie, it doesn't sound like the board is that invested in it. Because when Darcy says, hey, we're not going to sell it, the board's like, I... So, like, (laughs) he's such a pushover that just the mere suggestion, he's like, okay, I guess I'll do it. So, Darcy agrees to let Elizabeth host on the lawn, and Elizabeth comes the next day with all these volunteers, and it's very exciting. And then we get just a bunch of fluff scenes of them setting up the festival and him helping her. Uh, She makes him take her shopping for Christmas ornaments. And he's like, surely any of these volunteers who showed up could help you. She's like, I don't have a car. And he's like, again, surely any of these volunteers (laughs) who showed up could help you. And she's like, no, no, it's a lot. And they do stuff like that. Yeah, I think the only important like character stuff that happens is that we find out that Darcy had, you know, good memories of this place, but his was his his dad was always gone. It was his aunt and uncle's house. Yeah, it was his aunt and his uncle's house. His dad was always gone. Uh, not around him on Christmas, which is important for a theme that we'll mention later that his dad was not around. He has good memories, but soured memories. Uh, and then also, we also find out that he's just funding the town. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it all is, but it's stuff like the library, like... What else? Do you know what else he funds? I don't know specifically what else he funds. I just, I think he donates to the schools. Yeah, it's like the schools, the libraries. Essentially, if he took credit for it, he could basically own this town. But he does it all anonymously. And this makes Elizabeth mad for reasons. Like Darcy, for instance, doesn't really want to be that involved with the Christmas festival. He's like, I'll let you host it here. And I want to be like involved as a person. But like, I don't really want my name splashed all over the news for it. And she is just like, that's weird to George. And George, who is friends with Darcy from college or something is like, Darcy is just very private. And and Elizabeth is still weirded out by this for some reason, despite that being a perfectly valid character trait in sweet pushover Darcy. But whatever, fine. Elizabeth and sweet pushover Darcy bond a lot. Jane and Travis start a romance that's adorable and like... They get, they get two scenes together and it's my favorite romance of any Hallmark movie because they're just precious. They're just adorable. At one point, you know they went on a date, but they're like so giddy, you know they went on a date... But you know that, like, at most they maybe held hands and they thought they were, like, probably being so risque, but they're they're just precious. They're sweet, beautiful baby children. Ah, oh, I love them. So we don't see enough of them because most of it is Elizabeth and Darcy. Yeah, and they're irrelevant. Mind you, they're irrelevant to our analysis of the movie, so whew, say goodbye to them. They're gone. That's all we get to see of them because that's all they matter. They're cute. <laughs> Go on. So somehow a picture gets taken of Darcy and Elizabeth outside and then her boss gets that newspaper and and Elizabeth's boss is like, Fitzwilliam Darcy or whatever his name is, Darcy of Darcy Incorporated, that company that does everything. It's it's Billy D. Billy D. So she wants some some action with this Billy D. And I don't like how I said that. Well, see, now I'm just imagining Billy D. Williams, Lando Calrissian. (laughs) Can we call him Lando? No, we can't call him Lando. He's Darcy. So um, she comes and she's like, I didn't realize this was so big. I didn't realize Darcy was your client. And Elizabeth's like, well, he's not. The town is. We're just using his land because of a water pipe mishap. And the boss is like, everything is wrong. I'm going to take this over because it's my company and it's my name that you're soiling by doing it wrong. And Elizabeth's like, ah. So she lets her steamroll over her. And it's sad, I guess. 
Darcy is definitely sad that Elizabeth isn't chief event person yeah, anymore. Yeah, but like he's a pushover. So at most he says, I mean, he does it in a really cute way. He's like, well, I was really happy with what Elizabeth was doing. And he keeps praising Elizabeth. He tries. He tries to politely be like, I think Elizabeth should take over. You know, he manages it like a normal human person would instead of being like, you're being the worst, which he should have because Caroline was actually being She's the worst. terrible. Like Disney villain levels of comically. She explicitly like, she explicitly tells Elizabeth, hey, I want credit for this. And like, I feel like that's an actual realistic shitty thing for a boss to do to like want to take credit for their employee's work. But like, they're usually not so explicit. And she just flat out says, like, I want my name. I want credit. Me. And she makes it about the company, but pretty quickly it becomes like, a, I want credit. Yeah, basically. So she spends a lot of time schmoozing up to... To Darcy. Yeah. It, does, it doesn't work. George is the one who ruins everything on accident. Yeah, because George um, confides to Darcy, his friend. He's like, I have had feelings for Elizabeth. We went on one date, decided to be better friends. I respected that choice. But I can't help but wonder if like now, if I asked for a second date, what she would say. And despite George and Elizabeth having just no chemistry and Elizabeth... None. The friend zone isn't real, but Elizabeth being very like, we're such good friends, George, the whole movie. Literally their last conversation, I think her last line to her is, you're such a good friend. I know! And I can just like, I could feel it. I could feel it in my gut. Ah, so Darcy, for some reason, decides this is a real romance and gets sad. So he's just gonna leave town now. So he gives George his blessing or whatever. And then he's like, no one gets to celebrate Christmas on my lawn anymore. <laughs> and he's gonna sell it early and he's gonna leave because this town has now hurt him multiple times and he can't take it. Yeah, and, and they, they set up essentially that like this event is Christmas. So for all intents and purposes, Darcy has just literally stolen Christmas from a town. Because he's real sad. Yeah, and he's just driving away. Um, except that Elizabeth can, so she writes the condo company again to somehow get permission. Or they, Jane and Travis help, they figure out that, um, that... The board has to ratify the sale. The good old board has to ratify the, the sale. Board. So technically, Darcy still owns it. So they decide... Um, because I guess Darcy didn't cancel Christmas. He just sold it early, knowing that the condo would cancel Christmas. I don't know. For all, as far as it matters, Darcy canceled Christmas. I, I don't think Darcy thought. I don't think Darcy thinks. Darcy just, no, he's a pushover. And then when he finally does something of his own accord, it's like, I guess I'll do this now. But uh, whatever. So. Oh, but no, Travis is, uh, tra yeah, they recognize that. So Travis is like, hey. You see that helicopter over there? That's that's perfectly fine in this perfectly clear weather. Yeah, can't leave. Can't leave because weather. Oops. Weather. You know, that's just how it is. And at least this grift doesn't work. Like, it's only after he explicitly tells Darcy, like, hey, by the way, Elizabeth loves you, that Darcy's like, oh... Okay, let's go back. Yeah, well, it's an emotional thing because Darcy figures out, why can't the helicopter go? And he's like, I've been stalling you so they can reset up the Christmas festival. I'm so sorry, but Elizabeth loves you. The helicopter is on. The helicopter isn't off. It's ready to go. <laughs> they probably wasted like so much money with that thing because it's had to have been like half an hour of that thing just... God. So, um, but upon hearing like, you think Elizabeth loves me? Darcy is just ready to go back. But oh no, it's a snowstorm. They get stuck. We don't see this on screen. We just cut back <laughs> to Landon for a while. Cut back and their car is in snow when they're trying to shuffle it out. Car's just fucking under like massive piles of snow. Yeah. So I guess... Yes, 
I, I, no, I take it back, Travis. Apparently you were right about the weather. I guess. Oh, I guess he was accidentally right. He was accidentally right. I'm so proud of him. So then, um... They're like, oh no, how do we get back to the Christmas festival in time? Because Darcy is supposed to read, like, they were going to have this famous anchorman read the the night before Christmas. So he wants to get back to, like, do this. He didn't want to read it originally, because again, he's very private, doesn't want his name everywhere. But he's going to now, because he's going to, like, embrace Christmas or whatever. He knows this will help out Elizabeth. And he's like, I'm not going to get back in time when who emerges from the gloom? Christopher! Like, fucking... Batman. I'd like I I might do this edit actually of like Christopher coming out. Uh no, I'm I'm going to do it. So look down to the YouTube link below and just like fucking Batman like bum 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 bum. He just emerges from the shadow. Hello, Billy Dean. <laughs> Hello, Darcy. It looks like you've been trapped. Maybe there's a way I can help you. He doesn't say it like that, but it's it, it evokes that feeling of a, a hero emerging from the shadows. Yeah, so he's like going to help um, because he's Santa and he's like, uh, Elizabeth wrote me a Christmas list earlier this year where she asked for true love. So I forced you two together, but you didn't get it. So it's, it's actually kind of funny how frustrated he is. Oh yeah, he does. He gets so mad. He's like, <laughs> why didn't you get it? It's like everyone can see it. Come on. So um, <laughs> he gets them back again. We don't see this. We just cut back to Lambton. And then suddenly Darcy and Travis run in and, and, and they're like, how did you get here? And they're like, you'd be surprised. And we as the audience share a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, because we know how they got back at Santa's sleigh. So they're back. He reads Night Before Christmas and everything is good and grand. And he and Elizabeth kiss in front of Pemberley Manor. And Christmas is saved, love is found, happily ever after. And that is Christmas at Pemberley Manor. Or at least, that's Christmas at Pemberley Manor on the surface. We'll, we'll take a closer look after this break. Hi, I'm Santa Claus from Christmas at Pemberley Manor. You know, Hallmark movies can be pretty tough to go through sometimes, unless you're making theories about things like me being a mob boss. But I have a patented trick for you to get through the Hallmark movies using the one type of Christmas spirit that's stronger than everything else. Love! Hallmark movies always have at least one extremely lovable character within them. And if you want to make it through that movie, all you have to do is take that character and hold them so crushingly tight that their face turns blue and they pass out. Once you've attached yourself to this character, everything in the world seems like some sort of cosmic favor or cosmic disgrace specifically targeted at them. Your emotions will go on a roller coaster and your brain not, might not make it out of alive, but I, Santa Claus, guarantee that it will give you an experience you're sure to remember for at least a few hours afterwards. Alright, so we are back from the break. Uh, we spent the first half going over the movie, which I've already forgotten its name. Christmas at Pemberley Manor. So in the first half, we went over Christmas at Pemberley Manor. I had to think about it too, because I was like, oh no, what is its name? What is its name? What is its name? 
It's Christmas <laughs> in Pepperly Manor. I'm pretty certain my little SpongeBob brains didn't throw it out. All right. So uh, in, in the first half, we went over point by point Christmas at Pemberley Manor, the plot points, some of our kind of in the moment criticisms. Um, but as we advertise at the beginning of the show is that we kind of want to spend the second half of the show going, going a little bit deeper, kind of digging into like, you know, some of the craft behind the movies that we can kind of tell while viewing it, uh, some of the theming, and then uh, any other things that might be relevant for a specific movie. And we have fucking nothing. Hallie, this movie is nothing. Why did you pick it? It is nothing. Well, it's interesting you bring that up, Kyle, because in the nothing is something. It is the perfect Hallmark primer. If you think, hey... (laughs) Analyzing a Hallmark movie for its deeper themes is a waste of time. You're not wrong, but we're going to do it anyway. And we are trying our gosh darndest with this one because it is the perfect, vapid, void (laughs) essence of what a Hallmark movie is. It has all the steps. It's got like the angry boss, the misunderstandings at the beginning with with the love interests, the really supportive side characters who should probably be the protagonists. Uh, a weird Santa character in the background. It's got it's got classic Hallmark stuff, and Kyle noticed a couple of those Hallmark things, didn't you? Didn't you, Kyle? I, I did, and you're and you're segueing me to to my two things. But before we do that, I've just been thinking for like the past minute. In nothing, there is something. I don't know if I prefer that more as like a Hallmark card you give to <laughs> a shitty gift, or if I prefer it as like the new tagline to our show. Why not both? All right, so yeah, but you know. You've listened to the other Hallmark podcasts. Maybe, maybe you haven't. I know I have. And I know that, you know, there a lot of these tropes just naturally come up in conversation. But there were a couple of things that I noticed hadn't been talked about because they're, they're less overt tropes and more taking a look at these tropes to kind of notice how Hallmark movies are, are put together. And I think I have two gotcha moments that I found in this uh, in this movie, uh, and the first one is actually a compliment. So we're gonna we're gonna start with the first one. So back in the summary, I mentioned how he says Travis every other t- word. It's just like, hey Travis, you want to do this, Travis? And honest to God, Hallie walked over the character names with me like right before we started recording. Besides Darcy and Elizabeth, Travis is the only name I remember, and it didn't make sense to me because I was like, this movie is is plugging literally everything you need to know in in the first five minutes. And, and I want to kind of prove to you how. So not only do you have names of important characters like Travis repeated ad nauseum for no fucking reason at the very beginning, I've also noticed that you can tell a Hallmark's theme right at the beginning. And that's because of the two characters, one of them is going to be a Grinch. One of them is going to be a stooge. One of them is going to be stodgy and not get Christmas. And I mean, it's pretty easy to tell tell which one it is and it's whoever a really likes work b doesn't appreciate the small town or isn't from the small town or c just flat out says you know christmas fuck it just fuck it or even just christmas isn't really my jam it's not my favorite thing they can be ambivalent about christmas and it still achieves the same effect there, there is no neutral in Hallmark. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that the way they always say no to Christmas, and we'll get to this when we go into the themes, is always different each each time. You know, it's a very specific thing about Christmas. So Mr. Darcy's thing is, uh, this movie's all about spending time with, with family for Christmas. And Mr. Darcy is the one who's like, bah humbug, I don't like Christmas. 
and really he's more ambivalent. No neutral in Hallmark, Kyle. There's no neutral in Hallmark. <laughs> he's contrasted with Travis, who's like, well, you know, I get to Skype in with my family, but that's good enough. And in that moment, I immediately knew that the theme was... So long as you're with family for Christmas, it's a worthwhile holiday. It's it's a good Christmas. And I knew that because it was the exact opposite of what the Stooge believed. So in the very beginning, we repeat names ad nauseum so you don't forget it. And the central theme is explicitly stated. And all you need to do is look for the Scrooge and just take like their first three lines and reverse them. And you have the thesis for the movie. And Hallie, you figured out why they do this. I did? You did. Oh, because we forget things all the time. <laughs> this is our second version of the recording. <laughs> Hell, you definitely did. You were very excited when I told you this. Well, I know that people like leave the room when they watch Hallmark a lot. Hallmark movies are meant to be background noise. That's what that's what they're for. They're meant to be good holiday cheer in the background while you put up your Christmas tree or bake cookies or do literally anything else. Um, so if you leave a Hallmark movie and come back, it is never hard to figure out what has happened. The only case are the movies that have twins in them sometimes. They, they exist. They exist where one actress plays the same or plays different characters, but they're twins. Uh, th- those are the only ones. That's, that seems like way too much of a special effects budget, Hallie. No, no, they exist. They, they, they had the budget for 20 extras. They don't have a giant VFX budget. no. And yet they exist, and they're the only ones that are difficult to follow. Uh, by stating everything in the very beginning, when you were most likely to be seated in the room being like, oh, I'm going to watch a Hallmark movie, there is no possible way you can miss anything of substance if you have to get up because the oven beeps, or if you have to use the bathroom, or if someone has come to your house to celebrate the holiday with you. You just, you just know. And you might, you might be wondering, dear listener, but listen, they all blur together. They have the same five actresses throughout all the movies. It's true. I know because that one, the one we're going to cover before Christmas, has the same leading lady. It does. It sure does. But that comes to my second comment. And I'm just going to, Hallie, I know you got some Pride and Prejudice stuff, but can I ramble about my, my second big, big realization? Please do. So, um, the music is fucking terrible. Hallmark music is awful. And if you think otherwise, you're wrong. That's not true. I value you and your opinion, but I, I just... And I like Christmas music. I think Christmas music is fun. But especially, the one that especially gets to me, is the very loud saccharine song at the beginning of the movie. And it always feels like the movie... It always feels like the music at the very beginning of the movie is worse than the music at the rest of the movie. And that's because it is. The music at the beginning of the Hallmark music movies is always this big, sweeping theme, and everything else is pretty understated. Like, uh, I don't know, pulled from a library, which we'll get to that. But this opening song is always different. It feels big, it feels substantial. And personally, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm theorizing here, just shooting in the dark, uh, that I know if I was creating a Hallmark movie, that's why I could be like, hey, come here for the first five minutes before you get bored and have to take out your gingerbread cookies or whatever. Uh, Because everyone has five minutes to spare. Yep. Now the rest of the music, this is less of a, oh, let's see how it's built, and more, I just want to understand why this music isn't bad. And that's because it's stock music. And and, and this is is not as important as everything else we're going to talk about, but this is really important to me. 
Listen, I am, if you listen to our other podcast, Quest Friends, you'll learn very quickly uh, that I am I am a connoisseur of, of stock music. I, I enjoy the royalty-free libraries, so I know when I've heard one. And I absolutely have, because th- these movies take a sledgehammer approach to this music. So when you, li- when you watch the next movie, I want you to listen for these three songs. It's not going to be these specific three songs, but it will be these three songs. So you start pretty happy-go-lucky, like silly and wacky, like Hallie, knock, knock. Hey, Kyle, what's up? Who's there? You didn't do it right, but it's <laughs> no. funny because we're friends and it's Christmas. Normally you'd be in, in, in love, but that would be weird. Yeah. So we're friends and it's Christmas. But Hallie, my audio recording, it stopped working. Without this podcast, Christmas will never happen. Oh, no. Well, maybe if you just keep hope alive in your heart, you know? Something good will happen. I I need emotional support from a romantic partner. I hope she's awake. I've been waiting for this for hours. Hello? Uh, Emily? Yeah? My my podcast, it, it stopped recording. I think Christmas is ruined. What? My podcast, the recording stopped. The, 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 the podcast episode isn't going to happen. Christmas is ruined. Okay, she doesn't know her lines here, so I'm just going to cut to the next part. It's okay. Um, Honestly, it's less... It's Emily, this Emily, this is the part where you talk about how much you love me. What? Just talk about how much you love me. I... You're kind of a jerk sometimes. Like now, for not explaining, but I, I do love you. Um, I like your face. Should I keep going? Honestly, these words are more genuine than any Hallmark dialogue, so it's not even... And, and there we go. Those are the three types of Hallmark music that you'll hear. You'll hear the silly song, the sad song, and the romantic song. Yep. All right, thank you, Emily. Uh, I'll, I'll call you later tonight. What's happening? Love you. Bye. Bye. All right. So that's that's kind of my 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 noticings, and I'll I'll pull up more of these as the movies go on if I notice more insights into maybe why they do things. But that's all I've got for Hallmark movies in particular. But we got a couple of specific things that we need to talk about for this movie. I don't read, so I'm gonna be useless here because I think the closest thing to Pride and Prejudice I've seen is Spider-Man Two when Mary Jane is in that play. She's in the importance of being earnest, Kyle. Fuck, I thought it was... Oh my god, I'm taking over. I'm an English major, so I have actually read Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) (laughs) To see adaptations that are actually Pride and Prejudice, and not the importance of being earnest. I thought it was just a knockoff Pride and Prejudice she was in. It's literally the importance of being earnest. (laughs) God. Was that also Jane Austen or someone else? No! Okay, so Christmas at Beverly Manor is an adaptation, and you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes of Pride and Prejudice. You know, we've got the Elizabeth, we've got the Darcy, we've got a couple other names from the from the book, uh, and those names are Jane and George. Uh, George is the mayor of the town that hires Elizabeth. Lambden, and the only reason I remember the town name is because that's the town name in Pride and Prejudice. And Jane is his assistant. These name these name choices are are, are baffling to me because George, 
uh, is named after George Wickham, presumably, who is a rakish rogue who has a lot of debts and gambles and lies and is at first a seemingly good upstanding citizen and then just isn't because he's been lying and throwing shade about Darcy and all that stuff. So like George appears to be like the nice guy prototype at first. Where he's like gonna be like have a big crush, but then maybe be a jerk. Yeah, but he's. Which he says no, but he's fine. He's fine. He's like, he clearly has feelings for Elizabeth, but then he doesn't act on them. And even when he's thinking of acting on them, he's not being a jerk about it. So I don't know. I, I don't know why they named him that. I also don't know why they went with Jane for his assistant. For his assistant. Um, Jane is Elizabeth's older sister in the book. They're, they're buds. But Jane and Elizabeth have, they speak together once, twice. (laughs) They say things like, help me set up the festival and here's what I can do because it's my job and it's fine. But like, uh, why? Like, why not name her something different? For instance, Travis. We have a Travis. There's no Travis in Pride (laughs) and Prejudice. Why did we go with Travis? Why isn't Travis named after like, uh, Bingley? Darcy's best friend Bingley I, I don't get it does Bingley have like a different name is there like it's Charles Bingley okay l- keep going I'm gonna see if Charles and Travis can be nicknames for each other I'd, and maybe Travis's last name is Bingley we never find out uh the movie tells us his first name a million times but never his last name and like when you're adapting something you know it doesn't have to be a point-for-point adaptation you're allowed to take liberties you're allowed to like put new spins on character relationships and name whoever you want after whoever you want. And it's fine. But like the new naming doesn't give us anything in this. It just doesn't matter. And like, I mean, obviously it's, it's a Hallmark movie. It's a Christmas movie. The plot of Pride and Prejudice isn't going to be a huge factor in this, but there's not even Pride and Prejudice in it. Like, like Elizabeth gets over her prejudice when she first thinks Darcy is, is a bad dude. And then Darcy gets over his pride and there's just, they, they don't really have either of that. So what's the point? But they try to make it seem like they do. Oh my God. I think it makes so much, the, the, the terrible theme of this movie makes so much more sense. That's what I'm saying. As does the shitty fucking, like the coffee scene where she's yeah. mad, but not. That's what I'm saying. Like, they try to, like, like in the book, Darcy is legitimately a jerk the first time they meet, and he can be very standoffish. He can seem very uninterested and rude and brusque. But he doesn't come off that way in the movie, so what's the point? Like, again, he's the Scrooge. We know this because he's from the city and he likes work. But he's actually a really sweet pushover. He's such so a it pushover. it <laughs> doesn't work. And Elizabeth is feisty and sticks up for herself and it's great. Yeah, but, yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. We'll get to that. Like, she doesn't hold anything against Darcy for too long a time. She says generic things like, uh, we're from different planets. It's like, are you though? Is that, that's why she says they're so different even though they're the- That's, that would be why fucking same yeah i know and i think the worst offense it does with pride and prejudice is that we both thought we both just assumed the name of the boss who kind of puts herself between darcy and elizabeth was Catherine. after darcy's aunt Catherine, who does try to keep elizabeth and darcy apart in the book but her name is caroline <laughs> and it's so similar to Catherine. it's so similar so why wouldn't they just do Catherine? 
I don't, and usually like names like Carol, names that can be wintry and Christmassy, are reserved for protagonists or for best friends of protagonists, not for villains. So I can't, there are two points against the name Caroline and why they chose that for her. And I don't, I don't get it, Kyle. I don't understand it. And it doesn't have to be perfect adaptation. It's fine, except that it's not because it, it just, it just, the adaptation <laughs> value of it adds nothing. It adds nothing. I, I listen. I get you. I understand you, but I feel like we're on to something here because, like, it's so, so. Here's the thing: the Pride and Prejudice thing. Nobody gets it. I've listened to my share of Hallmark analysis podcasts and videos, and we all agree that it makes no sense. I think it is unanimously agreed that this doesn't make any sense, especially because I don't know if it's released or yet or not. Apparently, there was Pride and Prejudice and Mistletoe released also this year. Correct. So I haven't seen that one. So like everyone agrees it doesn't make sense. But I think we finally found Hallie. It's been like three, like, let's see, November, December. It's been two months. We found it. We found the link. And that's the shitty themes. They both come up later. But the Pride and Prejudice is baked into this movie's ter- core terrible theme. Yeah, it's baked just not well. So before we get to that, let's let's just quickly, quickly get, get through the Christmas theme. Okay. Because we got to address it. Christmas is here. It's a Hallmark movie. Christmas. Spend Christmas with your family, kids. That's, I mean, that's basically it. Yeah. Because, like, normally we see, there are a lot of small town homey Christmas festivals and Hallmark movies, and it's fine because, like, a lot of people do value those things, and it's great, but we don't actually see anyone benefit from the Christmas festival here. We hear how well it's going, we see some people, but maybe, like, 25 gather at the festival for some reason on Christmas Eve. Go home, it's Christmas Eve, but sure, whatever. Yeah, spend it with your families, like Elizabeth was going to. Yeah. That's the theme. That's the theme Chris explicitly says, spend it with your family, or something like that. Presumably they're with their families at the Christmas thing, which would fit into the theme, because if Skype is okay, being at an event with your family is okay. So I guess you could argue that it fits, but we don't, we don't. We don't see any side characters besides the core cast of primary and secondary characters. And usually there are. There's like one person you see in a scene or two who you see later enjoying something that the protagonist sets up so that you can see how Christmas matters and makes people feel. And it's it's a wonderful time of year and all that. And this movie just doesn't do that. It just doesn't. We see the <laughs> festival, but so what? It's fine. It's fine. Christmas is a thing in this movie. And like it would... <sighs> And here's the thing. The theme doesn't really work up because if they did like a theme theme of like found family or something like, oh, with George, they became like family or like Darcy is like getting almost a family by like hanging out with Elizabeth. That would make sense. It would fit the explicitly stated theme, but it doesn't. A theme that I think is handled much better and just gets bungled at the last minute is the movie's non-Christmas theme. And sometimes these aren't explicitly stated, but in this one, this this one, it it 100% is. And the theme on the base level is actually not a bad one. Take credit for your shit. If you do shit and it's good shit, take credit for it and don't like... uh, And and, and the movie doesn't go into the real whys. And the real whys is because like... Listen, if you did something and it's good, be proud of it. Take take credit for it. Don't let like a shitty person barge in and take all the credit for it, um, which I guess this movie does have happen. But mm. that's not how it first appears. The way this theme first manifests, which kind of relates to the uh, the Pride and Prejudice aspect of it, is that like apparently it's 
like Elizabeth gets really pissed and like almost acts like it's it's like it's non-charitable for Mr. Darcy to anonymously essentially fund this town's existence. Like he keeps it alive by founding everything good in it, but he doesn't take credit for it. And Elizabeth is like, oh, well, if, if he really cared, he would take credit for it. And, and like, no, I think the exact line is not very charitable. And it's like, but this is the definition of charitable when you when you get nothing from it, especially when you've got like these super rich assholes who spend like a day's worth of their money, which is like millions of dollars. But it's still like a day's worth of their income. Yeah. And they act like they're the hottest shit. Because they were, like, able to spend what, for me, is $50, the equivalent of, like, $50, on, on charity. And Mr. Darcy doesn't do that. He just, like, does it because it's good, and yet it's bad. Even though, even though, imagine, like, man, Mr. Darcy just, like, really helps small-town America would be such great free publicity. Yeah, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Ugh. So anyways, so that's, that's why he's prideful. He's, he is prideful. Or I guess not charitable. I mean, uh, because of that. And then what? And then Elizabeth is like, we're not the same, even though she has the same problem. I know, I know. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I guess she does have some prejudice against Mr. Darcy, but it's so unfounded. The whole movie, like, she is just really reaching for reasons not to like him, while still actively seeking his company. Like her asking him to help her get all of the Christmas decorations for the festival instead of asking a volunteer to help her. Like, that was flirtatious. That just was. He's right. You could have gotten any of the volunteers to do it, but you wanted Darcy. So she's simultaneously, like, flirting with him and trying to feel him out while also being like, ugh, he's so different from me. He won't even take credit for funding the whole town. How could I ever like him that way? I like, <laughs> like how your voice is devolving. How could I ever like him that it way? It is. I, it is. She speaks like that. And like, so that that's the link. That is that is the missing link is that the pride and the prejudice relate to Elizabeth being mad that Mr. Darcy doesn't take credit. That Mr. Darcy basically doesn't take free publicity and does, just does charity. And, and, and it's interesting because it does relate to a specific character flaw of his, which is that he doesn't, he doesn't engage with the outside world. He tries to keep himself distant. He doesn't want to engage. And like, that makes sense. It just looks really bad at first when she's like, he's not taking credit. But I mentioned that Elizabeth was the pot, you know, pot calling the kettle black because she has the same thing. And like, that's actually kind of good in, in, in an indirect way because it's setting up this theme that Elizabeth is also not taking credit for her shit. And not only this movie is so sophisticated that it not only presents a thesis it presents a counter thesis it's like but here's what happens if you take too much credit so i said earlier take credit or someone shitty is going to take it for you and that's in caroline caroline almost called her catherine yeah you did that isn't that so that's in caroline and caroline comes in uh and she and i ranted about this earlier is like I'm going to take all the credit. And she's treated as a villain like that. She she wants all the credit. She explicitly is stealing it. She's like, I deserve it, even though I didn't do anything. Um, well, she she she's going to go in and fix it. But her main thing is she's mad that she didn't get the get the prize, right? So she's kind of the counter thesis. It's like you, you've got these two characters who aren't taking credit. Mr. Darcy, he's not taking credit. And because he isn't, he's refusing to like really open himself up. Like that that comes from a place of him not wanting to open up. Elizabeth isn't taking credit, and because of this, she gets steamrolled by this person who takes too much. 
So you've got like the stasis of like take credit, but also don't be an asshole about it, which is is good. And like even Elizabeth, uh, when it's when it's gonna get sabotaged and it's gonna get ruined because Darcy's having a hissy fit, uh, is like no, I'm going rogue. I'm going under the radar. Like fucking like equivalent of strapping herself to a tree to prevent deforestation. She's having that Christmas festival come hell or high water. Oh yeah. And she walks up to Catherine and like, this is her big moment of where she's taking credit and she's got to be like, yeah, no, I'm doing this anyway. Screw you. And it's not like I called her Catherine. Shit. It's not like, it's not like Caroline. Caroline is like, she is Disney villain levels of bad. So it's not like she needs to be redeemed. And she comes up and she meekly says, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do it if you'll let me. And there's like a little smile, but she's still like, no, I'm still gonna have you let me. I'm still asking if you can let me because there had to be Christmas spirit and I get it. Yeah. On a Hallmark movie level, it's good. It's fine. It's holiday spirit. But you just, for the sake of fucking Christmas, ruined your theme. All character arcs, all motivation, all everything this entire movie is built up to is just thrown to the wayside so we can have a nice, polite family Christmas. And if that isn't the perfect representation of a family Christmas, I don't fucking know what is. It's thrown away for nothing, because as we discussed, the Christmas theme is eh. It's eh. There's, there's no bigger... It's meh. I can't even finish that sentence because it's meh is the perfect way to describe how Christmas is in this movie. All right. So we've talked about the themes. We've talked about the movie point by point. We've talked about it as an adaptation. Putting all these components together, it is now time for us to rate Christmas at Pemberley Manor. Hallie, what would you rate this film? Hmm. I give it... A figgy pudding. A thing that is very Christmas, but that no one actually likes. Eggnog. Does anyone actually like eggnog? I don't know if anyone likes eggnog. Some people like eggnog. I'm going to do it eggnog. I give it an eggnog because I hear there are people out there who like eggnog fine, and it's a very Christmassy thing, but no one I know actually likes eggnog. And I have yet to confirm whether the fact that people like eggnog is a myth or not. I, I, I rate this movie the, uh, the Drive to Thanksgiving. Uh, you spend multiple hours thinking you're going to build up to something substantial, but in the end, you just end up doing nothing so that there's no fighting at the table. Anyways, that's what this week's movie, Christmas at Pemberley Manor. Thank you for making it through this first uh, film with us. And since, you know, this podcast is going to be going from now until Christmas, we got three more episodes, uh, that means you've got a week to watch with us. I'm actually going to be watching... Uh, tomorrow, I'll watch on Sunday, probably sometime in the early afternoon if you want to follow along with me as I live tweet. But whether you do that, whether you just listen on your, whether you watch our next movie on your own time, or you just want to know what we're going to talk about next, it's important that you know what next week's topic is. So Hallie, what is our movie for next week? Our movie for next week is called Marry Me at Christmas. Uh, Mary, M-A-R-R-Y, the traditional way, not like Merry Christmas. Uh, it wouldn't be above Hallmark to do a pun like that in their title. Also, because they run out of titles a lot. A lot of them are very similar. So it is Marry Me at Christmas. Again, just in case you Google a similar title and get a different movie, as actually happened to Ari when she tried to look this movie up. 
One of our friends is listening, is watching the movies along with us. She's actually ahead of me right now. She is. She's been screaming at me all day. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, I'm re- I'm genuine. I genuinely tired myself out. But uh, thank you so much for Hallie. Can you just do it? I'm very tired. Just just can you just thank everyone and tell them what our Twitter is. It's Hallmarked Cast. Thank you for joining us for the first episode of Hallmarked, our seasonal literary review of Hallmark movies. You can follow us at Hallmarked Cast on Twitter. Hallmarked Cast, again, because I don't think I said it right. It's our title and then the word cast, like podcast, or like a cast when you sprained your ankle, or in my case, my brain. Hallmarked Cast. If you like to break your brain, follow us. <laughs> All right, thanks so much for listening. We'll uh, we'll we'll see you next week. Uh, Merry free Christmas. We don't have an ending yet. I wanted to shout Happy Halley Days. All right, let's do it. Happy Halley Days. Oh, uh, wait. All right, quick update that I forgot to mention. Uh, we solved. I solved the. I solved the uh, Charles and Travis issue. So I typed in Charles Travis nickname on March 6th, 1836. An Alamo soldier called William B. Travis was killed. That's it. That's that's what appeared. <laughs> that's, that's... That makes sense. Sure. Yeah, that's like that's like a hallmark reason. Sure. <laughs> the mystery has been solved. The other night, my roommate said she was watching a movie where like they were recounting the country's history, like the fake European country they made up. Oh yeah, they always make fake European countries, don't they? They're great. And like the history was that some some people had thought, let's skate across this lake and settle over there instead of over here. So everyone followed. They were like, that was such a good idea. We're just going to make you the royal family. And that <laughs> is their origin. So like, William B. Travis, that makes sense to me as a reason for things. Like, that's fine.